Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. spring everybody the first sunday of march and i know it's spring break so a lot of you are watching us from cabo arizona florida i just want you to know it is gorgeous here or it has been a beautiful weekend there's grass everywhere i think today after church we're gonna go home sit on the patio drink a glass of lemonade it's just gorgeous out here and so i know you're probably enjoying it where you're at in florida and stuff but just know you're missing out on some pretty great stuff here and uh you're thank you guys for not laughing but we don't want we don't want to let them know that we're lying sometimes you can lie in church with the joke i think that's how their scripture reads <laughs> i have to study more but I am really, really excited for this first Sunday in March because, believe it or not, warm weather is coming, I think, at some point. Uh, eventually, we think it's going to be here. Yeah, I, I think we're excited for that. At least I know I'm really excited for that. There are two big reasons I love the spring. The number one and primary reason is because I loathe winter. Anything coming out of winter is great. It doesn't matter what it is. You just, after a while, you get sick of blowing your driveway. You get sick of walking outside just bracing for the cold. You know what I'm talking about? When you walk outside, you're just like, how cold is it going to be? It's not fun. And so spring is great because you don't have to deal with that, at least as much. But the second reason is it brings on track and field season. I am a coach here in St. Francis for track and field, and uh, I didn't think I'd ever be a track and field guy. I joined it as a junior in high school because I just wanted to wear short shorts and look like a goof. That was straight up a reason I didn't want to join track because every year I'd be driving home from school and I would see the track and field guys shirtless with shorts that came to about here and it was all just pale white legs down. I'm like, you guys look like a bunch of corn cobs, all right? Why would I ever want to look like you? But here I was in June, as a junior, bored out of my mind, wanting to get better for BMX racing in the summer. I wanted to get conditioned, so I joined track on a whim. And I found out that I looked even worse in short shorts, believe it or not. But I found out, coming outside of it that I actually loved it. I, I thank my coach for it because my whole intention was to be a sprinter. As a, as, you, you might find my physique is not necessarily your typical distance runner. Uh, I, I thought I'd be more of a sprinter. But my coach is like, hey, you're going to try distance. And I'm like, okay, you're the coach, but I guess I'll give it a go. And I, and I thank him for it because... Out of it came a birth for running, a passion for running. I love to run. When I put on my shoes and I lace up my shoes and I put my headphones in, I take off wherever I'm going, it is truly time alone. There's no responsibility. There's no crying kids. There's no demands of anything. You just get to go out and run and hit the pavement, and it's amazing. You also get to go fill up your lungs with good, clean air most of the time, except when the guy in the diesel truck blows exhaust into your face. You get your heart rate up. You get to spend time alone. You get to visit new places. And you get to challenge yourself. You get to try and figure out how you're going to go farther and faster and do all these Great, great things. And running is just awesome. And I know everyone in this room is with me. You just love to run. Running is great. When I say running, you're like, yes, I can't wait to go. My dad always says, if you see me running, you better run yourself because that means something bigger behind me is chasing me. 
And that's the only reason I'm going to run. It's terrifying. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that they will not grow weary and lose heart. We as human beings are called to run a race. Not physically, praise the Lord, but metaphorically, the race of life, and it's a crazy race sometimes, is it not? Life is a crazy race. There's some twists, there's some bends, there's some uphills, there's some downhills, there's some really great bright spots, there's some not so bright spots. There are seasons and moments when we're on this race of life and it feels like we're living the dream. We're doing great. We're trucking along. We're doing great. We're enjoying the scenery. We're enjoying the look. Life is good. And there are seasons where it's like, why am I on this stupid race? There are seasons when it feels like, I just need a water break right now. I'm going to go to Hawaii or Bora Bora or the Galapagos Islands. I don't know. Somewhere warm. Water breaks are good. There are moments when it feels like we're coming down the final stretch of the race. Everyone's cheering us on. Behind us, we feel like we got everybody supporting us, going with us. Life is good. And there are moments where it feels like you're on that backcountry road, and the only company you have is the dog that's chasing you. Also happened in my running career twice. Terrifying. But this thing called life is a race, not a competitive race. You're not trying to finish your life before the next person, at least I hope not. Because that would be really bad if you're trying to get to the end of life before the next person. But the, it's called the race of life because it's a race. It's a, it's a competition to see who's willing to run it. I love what it says in Psalm chapter 139, verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. There is a race that is marked out for me, a race that is marked out for you, and it's unlike any other person's race in the world. I find it so interesting and so crazy that when I think of my future, when I think of what's going to happen in my life, it seems mystical. It seems a little hazy. Do you have those dreams in your future of your I hope I can have this. For me, it's I hope I can have that truck with my black lab in the next seat next to me when we go hunting. I think of my dream. I think of the future, and it seems a little mystical. You have these, these hopes that you're, you're shooting for, but you have no guarantee you're going to get there or that they're going to happen that way, right? But I find it interesting that God literally says here in one, Psalm 139, he saw us where we were born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day of our life. I don't know what my future looks like, but he does. And that blows my mind that my life literally is mapped out day to day by God. That just is, it blows my mind that he knows that much. But I find it also interesting that we find here in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If you've ever been to a graduation party and you got a Christian card, I bet you $100 that this verse was on it. 
This is the graduation verse. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in the future and lots of Taco Bell. So here's a gift card. Taco Bell is great, especially for a college student. As we get into graduation season, cash is what they want. Skip the card. Write a note. Save the $4. They could care less. But this verse is so common, but it's so uncommon, or miscommonly used. When this verse was written, it was written to a bunch of people that were in the desert that were going to be there for a long time. When God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope in the future, they weren't sitting on a beach in Cabo. They weren't enjoying the retirement life. They weren't having everything at their fingertips. They were getting ready to walk through one of the most troublesome, trying times of their life to this point. Yet God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. You sure have a funny way of showing it there, Jesus. Because this desert, this wandering is not what I've been looking for. But I know the plans I have for you. There's a reason the author of Hebrews called this life a race. We're going to get a little nerdy this morning. When you look at the Bible, the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew. So when we read it in English, it was never actually originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew. Now, the New Testament was actually written in Greek. And so if you want to truly get to the source of what Scripture is saying, all you have to do is study ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, master them, live your life for them, and all of a sudden now Scripture will make all the sense in the world. False. It won't. It's still confusing. Because of this word that we see in, in Hebrews chapter 12 called agon. Agon. Now, this uh, over here, that's the Hebrew, what it actually looks like. It lo- looks nothing like agon, but when you pr- change it into English, agon is the word. Now, agon actually is defined as a contest or a struggle. So when it says a race marked out for you, it's actually saying a contest or a struggle. That makes sense. But what's so difficult about translating, the reason we have 150 translations of the English Bible is because the ancient Hebrew and the ancient Greek, just like English, they have words that have multiple different meanings. Like if I said the word tag to you, you might think of like a clothes tag on your clothes, right? Some of you might think of the verb of tagging somebody like the game. Which one is it in a sentence? You have to look at the context. The same way with ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. The difficult part is knowing which one it is. And so a gone is either a contest or a struggle, or the other word is fight. Fight. As much as I love running, it is just that. It's a struggle. It is a fight. It is a fight of your mind and your body collaborating and going at it. Because your mind's saying, holy cow, man, stop. This hurts. This is no fun. You should really stop. You know, Chanticleer Pizza is right over here. You can take a right and go have a slice of pizza and have Meg pick you up. I've thought about it multiple times. When you're running and you're two miles in and you smell fresh pizza... That's a battle. It's a struggle. Because Shannon Claire Pizza makes some really good pizza. I got a few, eh? It's good. It's a struggle of your mind and your body clashing. Because your mind's telling you to stop. Your body's saying, I got this. I can go more. 
It's very interesting to me that when you look up the studies of running, 90% of the time your body has way more in it than your mind will let it do. Your mind will sabotage your body before it gets to the point of breaking. I find that so interesting. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's literally a struggle of your body fighting against itself. When you look at all my gym rats in the room, you're going you're gonna to love this. When you look at how you get bigger muscles, it literally takes you stretching, expanding, and ripping your muscles to the point beyond what they can do so that they can rebuild themselves and get bigger and stronger. It is a struggle. It is a fight. Your body is literally expanding, stretching. It is a constant battle. And so when you're running, it's all that together. It's your mind and your body going at it. It's your body against your body going at it. It is a struggle. It is a fight. And that is precisely why a lot of you would rather eat sand than go for a run for leisure. You're thinking, I would much rather grab a lawn chair and a glass of lemonade and watch you run than go for a run by myself. It's a battle. And I think a lot of us would ask, then why do you do it? If you're looking for the alone time, you can find a million other things to go and do. Why would you put yourself through that? Because if you've ever been on a run and you've gotten to the end of it, you know it's an adrenaline rush. You know your body is just feeling all the endorphins and all the stuff rising up and boiling over. The physical thing you get from a run, sometimes it feels like you're dying. <laughs> but sometimes you just feel amazing after it. And you get to the end of it, and the more you do it, the more you go, I just did that. I just ran a long ways. And whatever long is to you, it's all relative. Because for some of you, a long run might be 26.2 miles. For some of you, a long run might be to the mailbox and back. But you did it. And I've found in my 26 short years of life that everything we do that is a struggle, that is a fight, that takes required, required diligence and, and perseverance and all of that, that, those things are the things that are the most rewarding. Those are the things that are most purposeful. Those are the things that make a difference in our world and in the lives of everybody around us. That is why we do it. I run physically. Not because I just enjoy putting myself through pain, but because the reward afterwards is worth. My wife likes to laugh at me when I say this, but the juice is worth the squeeze. It is! It takes effort, but it's worth it. So is the race of life. There's a fight against you. Whether you are aware of it or not, the reality is that there is a spiritual fight for your life. Good versus evil. We have good and evil in the world. There are some good people. There are some evil things. But the reality is that beyond what we can even see, there is a fight for your life. There is good versus evil spiritually all around you all of the time. And we know that at the end, God will win. But it doesn't mean that Satan's trying to get you off your race. It doesn't change the fact that the enemy will throw everything he can possibly do against you to try you to get to stop running your race, try to stop living for God because he knows at the end he loses. So he's trying to take everybody he can with him. There is a fight and a struggle for your life every day you walk out the door. Every day your eyes open, there is a fight for you. Good versus evil. 
spirit versus flesh. You ever felt this way? Romans chapter 7. I love what Paul says here. Because this is me. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever been there? You're like, hey, I should probably go do this. And definitely not do that. But then we go. All the time. There are times I am like, literally, I will do something that I know I shouldn't. And I'm like, what, what am I doing? I, I, I don't want to do this. But you just find yourself doing the things you don't want to do. It's the, your spirit. It, it, it's you going, I know what is right. I know what I should be doing. I know what I need to be doing. But there's this thing about our flesh that just kind of just pulls us this direction. It's a struggle. It's a fight. Agone. Truth versus society. Society. We talked about this last week. Our world is built on this idea that you need more. You need to be more. You need to accomplish more, 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 more. More leads to more satisfaction. And the flip side of that is it will try and make you feel constantly like you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. You're not good looking enough because it will force you to face more. Truth versus society. Society tells you you're not good enough. Truth says that you are. There's a battle. And when the tilt is in the favor of the opposition, when you feel like the evil is winning, when you feel like society is winning, gosh, what is that word? When you feel like they're winning, when you feel like your flesh is winning, when you feel the weight of the race, when you feel like you are in the thick of it, when you feel like your legs are tired, your mind is tired, your emotions are tired, your heart is tired, when you feel the tilt in the favor of the opposition, you want to stop running. You want to quit because it's easier. When I run my physical runs, it's not all cupcakes and roses. There are days I straight up wish, I wish I could just pull over and go to Chanticleer and call my wife and say, please come pick me up. It's like a legitimate thing. Because a fight is a fight. Sometimes you're down and you're losing. Sometimes you're up and you're winning. But at the end of the day, it's still a fight. And it can get tough. And it can get challenging. And it can feel like, yeah, God might win in the end, but that seems like a long way away. Yeah, good good versus evil. I know God's with me, but at the end of the day, I don't feel him at all. There are bad things happening to me. There's a whole theological discussion we could have at some point about why God knows every single day of our life planned out, but yet bad things still happen. I know I've thought that. If God knows what's going to happen, why doesn't he just stop the bad things, right? There's a whole theological discussion we can have, but at the end of the day, there is a reason that the author of Hebrews says to run with perseverance because we've got to keep running no matter what. Running is not always easy, but if it's done right, it's always purposeful. The race of life is just that it's a race. It's a, it's a, it's a competition. But if we keep running and we keep doing what we're supposed to, it will lead to something substantial. We're doing a brand new sermon series called Stride, which is all about running your race. 
running this, this, through this thing called life and how you can do it, how you can make it, how you can get over hurdles, how you can keep going, how you can keep pushing, how at the, at, at the end of your life you can cross that finish line and go, I ran the race I was supposed to run. I lived the life I was supposed to live. I did the things I was supposed to do. But the antidote to finishing well is right here in the text. And that's where we're going to focus today is where we fix our eyes. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you ever seen a three-year-old learn how to ride a bike? Some of you, this is not so recent. Some of you, it's been your reality just now. But it's so interesting watching a three-year-old try to figure out a bike. You roll out the bike with the training wheels. Maybe it's got little streamers on the side or a little obnoxious horn that just sends like resonance through your ears all the time. You wheel it up there and they're like, oh, cool, what is it? Because they have no idea. So you pick them up and you drop them on the seat and you say, ride your bike. And they have no idea what they're, what's going on. They sit on the seat. They, you, you show them where to put their hands. Then they, they, they put their feet on the pedals. They're not sure if they can step on them or not. And then they move a little bit. It's so new to them. So they're so unsure. All they can do is just look down and try to figure out what's going on. And so you do it over and over. You put them back on the bike more and more and more. And so all of a sudden you, you, you push the cranks down with your hand. And you show them how they go around. And then they start to figure it out. And all of a sudden they're just ripping around your house on training wheels. Like coming around the corner on one wheel. And you're just like, oh, you figured it out really, really fast. They're just looking up what, where they're going. They could care less what's happening below them. But then it's time that the, all of the parents in the room are so excited for taking off the training wheels. You just know there's tears coming because this is going to hurt. Some of you weird parents are excited to see him fall. Kept me up in the middle of the night. You put him on the bike. You grab the back of the seat. Give him a good pep talk. You got this, buddy. You got this. You got it. You got it. You're, gonna, you, you're so good on this bike. You can do it. We put him on the bike. We grab the back of the seat and we walk. We let him go. And they, they're doing this thing a little bit. And all of a sudden they start to feel unsteady and they feel unsafe. And they're, they're kind of biking along and then they start to feel themselves going. And they look down and crash. And then the waterworks fall, and then you're like, you got it, you did so good! And then you got blood going down the knee, and you go again. I find it very, very interesting that it's when they look down that things go completely crazy. Because I rode BMX for a long time. I rode, I raced bikes for 15 years. I'm not going to talk about that much today, but one of the first things they tell you when you start racing BMX is if you are in front, you never, ever look back to see where your competition is. Because the moment you look back, you start to automatically, by default, pull your handlebars that direction. So if you're looking back to see where your competition is, you're no longer going straight. You're no longer going to where you need to go. It's very interesting. Metaphorically, how true is that? Where our focus is, is where we're going to fixate. Where our focus is, is where we're going to lead. If you're looking at everybody else, if you're looking at things you don't have, if you look at all of those things, you're no longer looking at what you need to be. 
I love that it says to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. This version says the pioneer and the perfecter, but other ones say the author, the author, the beginning, the whole reason we're here. Some of us don't believe this, but I truly believe that God put you on this planet. I believe that God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. I believe that he literally marked out your life from the moment you were born. He was there. He marked out your life and said, this person is going to go on to do this and be this. He's the author, the origin. He's also the perfecter. He's not just saying, hey, this is the life you're going to live. Good luck with it. Hope you make it through. It's the perfecter. He's with you. He's at the starting line saying, this is your life. This is what I've called you to do. Run. But he's also running right next to us the whole time. He's the one who is the origin. He's the one who's marked out our life. He's marked out the events of our life, but he's also the one in the midst of it, which means he's with us and he knows that we're going to go on to be a husband or a wife. We're going to welcome kids maybe, and it's going to be a glorious and amazing moment. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be with us there. And so when we're crying, we're emotional. We're thanking God for our blessing. He's there. But he's also there when you struggle with infertility. He's also there when you're struggling with a miscarriage that's super deep and super hard. He's there. He's there when you're praying and you're asking him, God, I really want this job. I really want this emotion. I really want this thing that is ahead. God, would you please get me there? And you work your tail off every single second, every single day, and you get there and you made it. And you're like, yes, thank you, God. You're there with me. But he's also there. When you lose your job and there's a pile of bills this high on your dining room table, you're not sure how you're going to make it. He's there. He's there when you're celebrating your wedding anniversary and it's been 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35 years and you're celebrating saying, we made it. I don't know how, but we made it. Because he was with you. And I say it jokingly, but at the same time, he's there with you when you're praying and you're saying, God, would you save my marriage? Jesus, would you be with me? Because the reality is, I don't know how we're going to make it out of this. God, you're the only one who can do that. And he's there to wipe your tears, hold you tight, and keep you there in the midst of your struggle. He is there. God is not a spectator. He is a finisher. God's not up there in his clouds saying, man, he's struggling right now. I hope he makes it out of there. No, he's with us now. He's in there now. He's with us. The author, he put us here. He marked out our race. He marked out our life. But he's not staying up in heaven. He is with us now, living in us now, in this room now. The finisher. I didn't get his permission, but hopefully he won't be mad at me. This last year, I did my first official marathon. Two years ago, I ran 30 miles, but this year I did my first official marathon. And my priorities are this, Jesus, family, church, but then I'm hunting and everything else. I love hunting more than anything else. And so... I was all set to run the Twin Cities Marathon this year. I signed up for it. I was all ready for it. I was going to do it for a cause. It was going to be great. And then I realized it's over duck hunting opening weekend. So I was like, all right, cool. We're running the marathon by ourselves because I'm not missing hunting. 
And so I mentioned to a guy in our church whose name is Guy. You can put that picture up there. And Guy's like, you know what? I've ran a ton of marathons in my life. I can't run anymore, but you know what? I'll, I'll bike next to you. I was like, all right, awesome, amazing. And here's, here's what I have to tell you about Guy. And he, he's going to hate me for giving him this much credit, but it's awesome. Guy said, you know what? Do you have a good pair of running shoes? It's like, I do, but they're kind of tired. All right, let's, let's, go, let's go get you a pair of running shoes. Sweet. Took me down to St. Paul, got me a new pair of running shoes. Race day comes. He goes, I, got, I brought a cooler, I brought some snacks, and I, I kind of mapped out our route. I'll bike next to you the whole time. So we take off, and I got about 12, 13 miles into my marathon. I was feeling fantastic. I was like, we're, we're feeling good. I feel awesome. We're almost halfway there. We're going to crush this thing. And then 14 mile happened, and I'm like, kill me now. <laughs> this is tough. This is, this is a grind. This is terrible. Why did I do this? And Guy was there, biking next to me, saying, you're, you're doing really great, buddy. You're, you're, you're crushing it. We're almost halfway there. He coached me along the way. There were times when he's like, you know what? You're almost there. Or there were times he's like, just slow down. Take your time. There were also times we got to the end of it. By the end of it, about mile 23, 24, my back was shot. Absolutely shot. I've never felt the lower back pain like I did at mile 24 in my entire life. I struggled to walk. And so here we are. A marathon is 26.2 miles. We're at 25.75. I'm a half a mile from finishing this thing. I'm gassed. I'm dead. And guy says, you're going to finish strong. I need you. Pick up the pace. I want you to finish strong. You need to finish strong. Can I tell you that was the last thing I wanted to do? I was so content to be like, we made it! Barely, but we made it! Guy was there through every single moment of that race. There were moments when I was cruising and I was like, God, you go home, I'm good. And there were moments where I'm like, dude, if you, wasn't, if you weren't here, I'd probably looking for a bus ticket home. But he was there every single moment of the thing. And Guy's a great person, don't get me wrong, but he's, not, he's no Jesus. <laughs> he's not Jesus, but at the same time, I, when, I, when I think about back to that race, there was every emotion possible. The excitement of, we're going to finish this sucker, and I'm going to say, I ran my marathon. There are moments where I'm like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to finish this at all. But through every high, low, and in-between guy was there. With encouragement, with words, with snacks, with Gatorade, with knowledge and wisdom. He was there. And when I think about my faith with Jesus, my walk with Jesus, I think about the fact that God has been with me through some of my toughest moments, some of my greatest moments. But in reality, he's been with me every single moment of every single day of every single moment of my life. The exciting ones and the boringest crap ones. He's been with us. He's been with me. Because he's the finisher. He's not a spectator. 
And I think what happens a lot of times is our faith becomes like the Boston Marathon. For those who are unaware, the Boston Marathon is the pinnacle of races. You have to, if you want to go to Boston, it's like the greatest race you can run. It's, it's a fantastic experience. But to get into Boston, for my age, I need to run a marathon in about three hours or two hours and 45 minutes. That is really, really, really fast. Really fast. And so I, I, I used to have this dream of running Boston. And after running my other marathon, I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. But for a long time, I wanted to run Boston in the worst way. And I was like, I just really, really, really think it'd be so cool to run Boston at some point. But I know that I will never qualify, at least not at my age. As you get older, the requirements get less and less and, and that type of thing. But I, for a long time, wanted to run Boston in the worst way, but I knew I wouldn't qualify. Do you have many people I meet who don't feel like they qualify for Jesus? Do you have any people I meet who, when we start talking about faith or religion, as it's called, they're like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'd like to come to your church. I think it'd be cool, but you know, I, I can't. Why? Like, what, like, what's up? Oh well, I, I, I'm, I'm a struggling alcoholic, and you know, my marriage isn't super great. I'm, just, I'm not a great person. Sweet, come be a part of it. Because guess what? There's not a single person in my church who's got it all going on. I think what happens is so much we get to Boston and it feel, we feel like that is our, our faith. We're not good enough for God. All of a sudden, these things from society, these things from evil, we start to believe them as, as, as God. Like, man, I, I'm not good enough. I don't qualify. I can't do anything good for God because I have this stuff in my life that's not good enough. On the flip side, we start track in a month from today. And my first day of practice, when we get all the kids checked in, they're sitting there in their, their gym clothes, they're ready to start the season. I tell them, with everybody there saying, I hope some of you know that you will never cross the finish line in first place this year. They're like, oh, thanks for the pep talk. But I follow it up with, I say, I could care less if you finish first a single meet this year. But what I need every single one of you to do is to decide right now that you are willing to go through whatever it is so that when you start track today, you will finish track seven weeks from now, a better athlete, a better person than you were seven weeks ago. My favorite part about coaching track is there are a lot of kids who will never even hit the podium ever once, not even get close. But what is so fun as a coach is you start to see this kid over here got so much faster, so much better, so much stronger because they put in the work every single day to become a better athlete on the, on the backside. And on the last day, when they get their certificate, when I get to tell them all the things they did great, they are grinning from ear to ear because they know they did something. They know they worked their tail off because there was lots of days in practice where they wanted to quit. They didn't want to keep going. They didn't want to keep struggling, but they stayed the course. And they came through it seven weeks later and they did it. They were faster. They were stronger. They were better. There are some of you in here who know the Bible better than I do. 
There are some of you in this room who sit in your home or your car and you pray for hours and hours and hours. There are some of you in this room who give more to church, more to people than, than I can even possibly comprehend. There are some of you in this room who have been living for Jesus so long. But there are also some of you in here who have never once picked up the Bible. You've never once prayed. You've never once given anything to church. you never once served God. This is a race that is not first, second, and third. It's a race to see who's going to finish. The priority is not to reach a level. It's to purely run your race. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for this appearing. You know what word in the Greek is in this verse? Agon. I have fought the good fight. Paul's story, he was a persecutor of Christians. He made it his mission to destroy Christianity. If you were a Christian in Paul's time and he, was, he, he knew you were there, he looked to imprison you, he looked to kill you, he looked to take you out any way he could. And all of a sudden he had an encounter with Jesus, he experienced Jesus in, in all of his fullness, and all of a sudden now he's living for him and he writes two-thirds of our New Testament. And he gets to the end of his life and he goes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. It doesn't matter how you start, it matters how you finish. Whether you are living for God right now or not, whether you got off to a great start and you hit some patches in the middle, it doesn't matter. We're called to finish the race. We're called to give God our best. And don't look to the right or to the left. Don't look like, don't feel like you don't qualify because that guy over there is reading so much scripture and you don't even know where to begin. It doesn't matter. Because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And whether you've lived for God your whole life or whether you give it to him, the very end, it doesn't matter. It's how you finish. So what we're going to do for the next few weeks is figure out very practically how you run this race, how you live for God, how you live the best life you can, how you live the life that he wants you to. There might be some struggles. There might be some fights. Can I just tell you that living for Jesus, giving Jesus your all is the greatest, most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my entire life. Because you know the God of the universe is in your corner with you every second of every day. It changes you. Nothing becomes too impossible. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I think there are some people in this room. Maybe they didn't get off to a good start. Maybe they did. But now they find themselves away from you. They're not even sure what they believe about you yet. But God, they know they're called to run their race. And they just want to make it right with you. And God, the best thing about you is that you operate under grace. Because it doesn't matter how we start. It doesn't matter what the middle looks like. It just matters if we're willing to ask for help. 
if we're willing to accept you into our life. So Jesus, for those in this room, I just pray, God, that all they would have to know if they want you in their life, all they have to do is you're sitting there at the door knocking and they just have to say, God, would you please forgive me and be a part of my life? And you're right there. God, would you be with those people who want to make it right? But Lord, would you be with every other person in this room? The race of life is a struggle. It's a fight. There are so many great spots along the way, but there are some also tough ones. Wherever we find ourselves on the race of life, I just pray, Jesus, that every single person in this room would welcome you into it. We would welcome you into our circumstances. We'd welcome you into the joy and the celebration. We'd welcome you into the trial and the tribulation. Whatever it is, Jesus, we welcome you into this place because you know you will carry us through. You will help us finish the race. All we have to do, Jesus, is fix our eyes on you. Not on the circumstances, not on the stress, not on the other stuff around us. We have to fix our eyes on you and you will carry us through. So Jesus, today, we focus our eyes on you. We look to you and we ask you, Jesus, that you will put the right people in our life, put the right lessons in our life, put the right truth in our life to help us run our race. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.